0: Thanks, Dan. Please be seated. Hi, everybody. I'm Pastor Dick Thompson. I'm the pastor for Seasoned Adult Ministry here at Calvary Community Church. It's good to be here. Um, i I was invited to come and share with you tonight um, in this amazing text that you just heard. And um, I'm a little bit of a disadvantage. Uh, My wife, Suzanne, and I were in front of the camera in your relationship series uh, several weeks ago. And uh, I have I to share with Brian that after we finished sh- sharing that story, our stories, I was just like drained. I was like, oh my goodness, we just put our lives out there into a camera. But here you are. This is way better. So I appreciate being able to be face-to-face with you tonight. I look forward to getting to know you. Uh, I, I've been on board as a pastor since October, so uh, we've got a lot of relating to do as we go forward. But tonight... Um, we're going to be into this text that Dan just read. And I really agree with Pastor Brian Williams as he shared a couple of weeks ago that when we talk about the book of Acts, we're not just talking about the book of Acts. We're talking about the acts of the Holy Spirit. And tonight we're going to be looking at what the Holy Spirit is doing. And I want to put up in front of us a, a proposal. And the proposal goes like this, that the question tonight is less about how I can be filled with the Holy Spirit, although being filled with the Holy Spirit is very important. We sang about this. We, we, we felt it. We not during the music as we began to, in our worship tonight. Nonetheless, it's less about how I can be filled with the Holy Spirit and more about how we are in the flow of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need to think about tonight, I believe, and that's what this text that Dan just read to us is showing us. So, I'm going to explain this as we go forward. We need the backstory in order to get our hands around what happened at Pentecost. Uh, I want to take us back to Good Friday and something strange that happened in the temple the moment that Jesus breathed his last on the cross. You may remember this. This is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. And Luke puts it like this it was about noon. And darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain in the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. What we need to understand here is that the temple was a gift from God to help the people of God envision how heaven and earth come together. How heaven and earth come together. The temple is a kind of a model, if you will, to demonstrate how the people could hope, have hope to be in relationship with a holy creator God of all things. The temple was their place to worship. It felt like home to them. You These psalms that we read, and the psalmist will say, it's so great to be in the courts of the Lord. For them, it was like being home. Maybe that's some of your experience tonight here in worship. This feels like home. It should, we're a worshiping community, ought to feel like home. To be in the temple meant to have an experience of what it would be like to be in a heaven and earth together place. We now think that in Genesis chapter 1, what is being described in Genesis chapter 1 in the creation of the universe is the description of a temple. This is new thinking for some of us with human beings in the center of the temple as God's representatives in the creation, doing the work that God has given them to do. When God finished all this, God stood back in Menor Genesis 1, chapter 1. He said, oh, this is very good. I love it. With the people in the center and all the creation and all the universe, this is beautiful. He's described what we're being uh, described to uh, for us is description of a temple. But then in Genesis chapter 3, we know what happened. Humankind, God's representatives on the planet, decided that they wanted the garden without God. A friend of mine calls that extheism, not atheism. A- extheism, kick God out. We'll take the creation, God, you go away. God will not let that happen. And so the, the human beings are evicted from the garden And there are angels with flaming swords guarding the way back into the garden. So at the center of the temple in Jerusalem, blocking the way into the most holy place, the place where people can actually be, if you will, face-to-face, an intimate relationship with God, there is a curtain, a thick, dark, purple curtain The curtain is made of linen. It is dyed purple, blue, and crimson red to depict the nighttime sky, to depict the universe, if you will. It's embroidered with angelic beings called cherubim to depict those angels who are guarding the entrance to the the, the way back into Eden. The curtain itself is 30 feet tall, and it's as thick as my hands, four inches thick. It could only be passed through one time per year by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. And only then, with very careful preparation, you may know this, that when the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies one time a year on the Day of Atonement, they tied a rope around his ankle in case he didn't make it. And they'd have to pull him out in case that encounter with God turned out to be lethal. The point of the curtain in the temple served as a painful reminder to the people of their sinfulness and of their separation from God. As part of the model, a reminder of our separation from God. Unless something changes, we cannot be in the presence of a holy God. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all bear witness that at the moment of Jesus' death, that curtain ripped from top to bottom. What did this mean that this curtain in the temple ripped from top to bottom? In Jesus' death, the way was torn open, never to be closed again, into the Holy of Holies, and I am not talking about the building in downtown Jerusalem. Hebrews chapter 9 puts it this way, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. When Jesus went to the cross, he knew what he was going to do. It's why he sweat drops of blood in the garden hours before. He knew that he was going to take on for us in our place in the whole of creation the forces of evil and darkness and death that separate us from the source of life. Here is the love of God. That God in Jesus Christ is reconciling the world to Himself, that the Son of God, the God man, would die in her place and break the grip of Satan. There was a war going on on that cross. And the moment that evil and death seemed to have won the war, that was the moment the curtain tore in two from top to bottom. Two things happened. As a result, the first thing we, we talk a lot about, the first thing is that we, we now have direct access to the throne of God. The word revelation in our Greek New Testament is apocalypse. Apocalypse means to pull back the curtain. I love how John the seer in Revelation describes this. He says, after this, I looked, and there in heaven a door stood open. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. John can see into the throne room of heaven. The preacher in Hebrews says, Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance." Think about this. Every time we say, dear God, we get to step right into the presence of, of the almighty God. With the, the, the high priest can only do once a year with a rope tied around his ankle. We can do it whenever we, we want to. We have direct access to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. I got a picture of this one day uh, we were home. My wife and I were home, and uh, our daughter at the time was living on the East Coast, and we hadn't heard from her for a while. And uh, we had the uh, self. Her her uh, phone had a, a ringtone to it, and uh, my wife uh, at the time sometimes still has these huge purses with with compartments on the outside and on the inside. Anybody here have a purse like that? They're really they don't really make any sense. The phone rings. And it's our daughter's ringtone. You should have seen my wife. Oh, it's Julia. Where's my phone? I said, I think it's in your purse. First ring's done. Second ring, groping in the outside compartments of the purse. No phone. Oh, my goodness. The end of the second ring. Beginning of the third ring, she dives into the purse, up, this, up to her elbow, groping around the bottom, checking the inside pockets. At the end of the third ring, no phone. It's still ringing. I got one more ring and it goes message. Can't let that happen. On the beginning of the fourth ring, she dumps the entire purse out, out on the couch. Out tumbles her phone. And in a sweeping, elegant gesture, picks up the phone, hits the button, and she says, hi, honey. So good to hear from you. I got a picture in that moment, (laughs) what it's like with God. Every time you say, dear God, pick on Sarah. Sarah says, dear God. Here's on the other end what it's like in heaven. Hey, it's Sarah. Sarah's calling. Oh my gosh. It's so, everybody, Sarah's calling. So good to talk to Sarah. Thanks for checking in. Or Dan, Brian. God loves us so much. We had this in the song we just sang. We have access to God. We could say, Dear God. We could say, Oh God. We could say, God. And He's with us. We have access. That curtain has been ripped in two. When Jesus died, he opened our access to God as our loving father. That's the first thing that happened. It's the other thing that happened that we don't talk enough about what we need to zero in tonight. It's this, when the curtain ripped in two, not only did we gain access to heaven, but heaven also gained access to earth. 40 days after Jesus rose victorious, he ascended into heaven. 10 days after that, 50 days after the resurrection, there's Pentecost, means 50. The spirit of God that fills heaven came cascading down on the earth. The curtain ripping open was like a dam breaking. I had a friend who's Family tonight, the family experienced the night the St. Francis Dam outside of Fillmore collapsed. It's happening way back in the 1920s. It was a man riding his motorcycle about 10 minutes before, the mid, uh, before midnight. He passed the dam on his bike and without seeing anything unusual, he said he rode about a mile and a half upstream when he heard above his motorcycle's engine a rumbling sound like rocks rolling on a hill. What he was hearing was a sound of billion gallons of water beginning to surge in a 140-foot-high wall of water that rushed down the valley finally found its way to the Pacific Ocean. That flood washed away the dam. All that was left, was just a column of concrete. You know, if you go to Jerusalem today, and some of you probably have, maybe more recently, sometime in your life. If you haven't, you need to go. Make a time. Make that a thing that you go do. It's very important, I think. If you go to Jerusalem and you go to the temple where the temple was, all that's left of it is a foundation. And the stones that the Romans pulled down when they destroyed the temple in AD 70, those stones, piles of stones are still there. That's all that's left of the temple. Because now there's a new temple. Nobody expected that first Pentecost that, that would, what was happening would, would be taking place. In Jesus' time, see, everybody expected the Spirit to come down on the temple as the Spirit had come down on the tabernacle. The Spirit would come down on the temple in Solomon's temple that, that he constructed in uh, around 950 B.C. To, to this day, Orthodox Jews, if you go to Jerusalem, standing before the, the Western Wall, you'll find them praying like this. One time I was there, and there was many Hasidic Orthodox Jews praying in front of the wall, in front of tables like this, and there was a tapestry in front of a lot of them, and I was wondering what was on those tapestries, and they, one gentleman was, I guess, taking a break, and I went over and looked at the tapestry, and it was a depiction of the temple. And so what he is praying for is for that temple to return. He is praying for someday for this building to come back where the Dome of the Rock is now, that there's someday there will be a temple there. Instead of the Spirit of God coming down on the building in Jerusalem, (laughs) it came down on a bunch of ordinary Galileans. Uneducated, uncouth, sort of religious, rough around the edges, fishermen and their friends. People just like you and me. The Spirit of God, here's the point, the Spirit of God is loose in the world. The Spirit of God is pouring down out of heaven, rushing and flowing into empty spaces. Any place there is an empty space, the Spirit of God means to fill it. No predicting where or how or when, with whom or how. The Spirit of God is looking to pour into any open heart Any empty space. The Spirit of God is here in this room tonight. And he's moving among us. What took place at Pentecost is really hard to describe. It's hard to put this in words. Uh, You notice the language, the passage passage that Dan read, language, the English language gets stretched by what's going on here. Listen listen to this again. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. What how do you describe something like this? And, and it filled the entire house. It filled how? What was, filling? what was that like? Where they were sitting, divided tongues, like as a fire, appeared among them. And, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other languages. The Greek here means other utterances, as the Spirit gave them ability. Weird powerful, unpredicted, unexpected. So the way the Holy Spirit flows in the world. Suddenly, it's like the floodgates of heaven were flung open and from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind filling the house with strange effects on those who were there, divided tongues like tongues of fire, filling the place and the people in that place, spilling, splashing out into others, gifting them with the ability to speak and communicate to people who are from all over the known world. I don't know your your backgrounds. A lot of us come from all different kinds of uh, traditions in the church and the Christian movement. And uh, there is a lot of conversation among us Christians as, as, as global Christians around this business of the spirit and inspired speech. On the one hand, in Acts 2, the Jesus people are speaking languages of people who come to Jerusalem for the festival from all over the known world could understand. On the other hand... In Paul's writings, he describes the Spirit inspiring a kind of prayer language that requires interpretation if it is expressed in community worship. Are these two different kinds of gifts of the Spirit? Gallons of ink have been spilled on this question, and churches have divided on this question. So I want to offer some thoughts. First, the book of Acts of the Holy Spirit is not prescribing what Christians must experience. But rather, it is describing the kind of experiences Christians may have. Okay? Some traditions, for example, say the Holy Spirit doesn't do this anymore. People don't, the Spirit of God does not inspire inspire, uh, worship languages anymore. This is called cessationism. Other traditions insist that, that you are not filled with the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. This is called classic Pentecostalism. The thing is, you see, the book of Acts, Acts is not intending to make some kind of a doctrinal statement about the Holy Spirit's actions in surprising ways that are difficult to understand, and even within the book of Acts it sometimes seems inconsistent. For example, at Pentecost the spirit fills and speaks through Jesus people declaring great deeds of God. At other times people learn about Jesus and then later experience the filling of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. It's hard to make sense of that. Second thing is, what if those who heard the Jesus people speaking in their own language were hearing not with their ears, but with their hearts? This is my own question. <laughs> I, I just this is something that I'm wondering about, and I share it with you, okay? Because we have a way of speaking without words, don't we? You know, neuroscience is now showing us that we communicate with our eyes. We communicate with our faces. Even when we have the masks on. We communicate with our bodies. Did you know that we have figured out that infant children are communicating? We have to learn their language. What does it mean when a, a baby is arching their back? What is that message? <laughs> You can say, oh, that's interesting. They're arching their back. No, they're saying, change me, right? An infant child will want to see a face. The language that they're speaking is an infant baby language, but it's speaking nonetheless. I want to see you. I want you to see me. What language are we going to speak in the new creation? English? English? I don't think so. Languages themselves so often are cause of division. Whatever we will be speaking in the new heaven and the new earth is going to be universally understood. So maybe, just maybe, there's not so much of a difference between what is happening at Pentecost and what Paul is describing happening in the churches. I just offer that as a thought. St. Francis famously said, Preach the gospel if necessary, if necessary. Use words. The Holy Spirit speaks into our lives, but also through our lives. What we say as we share our faith with our friends and our neighbors and people at work, yes, absolutely, but also speaks through how we act and what we do. Third thought is, most importantly, the Holy Spirit is the presence of the risen Christ with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. We can get to know the Holy Spirit. Let me demystify the Holy Spirit for just a little bit by offering you, if you want to understand how the Holy Spirit rolls and how the Holy Spirit flows, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right? When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you are learning about Jesus because the Spirit is the presence of the risen Christ with us. Anything that we think is the Holy Spirit, action of the Holy Spirit, that does not, is not consistent with how we understand Jesus and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, take another look. Right? C.S. Lewis wrote, In the Christian life, you are not usually looking at Him, the Holy Spirit. He is always acting through you. If you think of the Father as something out there in front of you and of the Son as someone standing at your side, helping you to pray, trying to turn you into another son or daughter of the Most High God, then you have to think of the third person as something inside you and behind you, giving us strength, uh, nudging us, prompting us, we just heard about the need, the, the special abilities um, ministry at, at Calvary, and the need for uh, respite and and a beach day. I'm not trying to, I'm not laying a, a guilt trip on anybody, but this is an example. It's a great example. I didn't know that was going to be said tonight. So you heard, they just, uh, the folks are describing the, this ministry. This is how the Holy Spirit rolls. Did you sense? a prompting that might sound like, oh, I could do that. Uh, That might be interesting. (laughs) That might be the nudge. (laughs) He's very gentle. He can easily say no. How the Holy Spirit flows. So, at the beginning of this sharing from the the, the text of Acts 2, I said the question tonight is less about how I can be filled with the Holy Spirit and more about how we can be in the flow of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm trying to work on. That's what I'm trying to help us understand. What can we take from what happened that first Pentecost? In how we can get into the flow of the Spirit of God? Okay. First, we can prepare. Those who experienced this downpour of Spirit—if you think about it—they spent time with Jesus. Some of them for three years. They knew the Lord. They were prepared. We do the same thing in our community in, in Ya and in, at Calvary and Seasoned Adult Ministry. We do the same thing. We study. We open up our Bibles because this is a gift of getting to know Jesus. is a way It's a gift to be, of getting to know the Holy Spirit as well. We can listen to Jesus. We can watch Him. We can follow Him. They gathered just as like as we are gathered here tonight to share life together in the body of Christ at Calvary. You have Ya. My great calling, this amazing ministry that I've been given, is to help gather the seasoned adults at Calvary. With, now, with Brian and Sarah, their offices are right near mine, so we have these hallway conversations. We're, we're out there with our coffee cups in the middle of the hallway talking about, hey, we could do intergen stuff. Okay, how can we do some intergen stuff? And we're, we're still playing with it. Another reason why I'm really glad to be here tonight with you. Because when we work together, Y A S A, seasoned adults, we open up a possibility for the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Amen? Thank you for taking those ornaments out last December. To deliver to seasoned adults. Uh, Brian shared with me back when we did that. How many of you helped deliver ornaments? We got some folks. Thank you. <laughs> There's so many people <laughs> come up to me and say, this is you wouldn't believe it. These young people came to my door and they were knocking on the door and they, and they hung an ornament on my knob. <laughs> they saw it on Ring, you know. It's touched so many people's lives, you guys. It was such a wonderful way to be the body of Christ intergenerationally. The Spirit of the Lord wants us to meet you and I and us because he wants us in ministry together. He wants us to do life together. Alone in a community, they also prepared for the coming of the Holy Spirit by practicing the disciplines of the Spirit. You know this. You talk a lot. I remember Pastor Brian Howard back in the winter was talking about fasting, study, meditation, contemplation prayer obviously service all these all these spiritual disciplines you're not earning you you understand this you're not earning god's favor by doing spiritual disciplines you're just hoisting your sails letting the wind of the spirit move in your life right spirit of the risen christ precedes us into every situation so the first thing i want to say is What we can take from the experience at Pentecost is first we can prepare. The second thing I want to say now is the spirit of the risen Jesus precedes us into every situation. Every situation. I learned this from a friend of mine who was a mission worker. She is now with the Lord, mission worker who worked in Ankara, Turkey. And very interestingly, she worked with special abilities children, severely special, severe disabilities children. And she taught us that when she had learned from, from, from Christ and from his word and from her own experience, that before she would step into a situation, she learned to stop. And I just offered this to you to stop and ask, Lord, what are you doing here? And then step in and do what the Lord's doing. And then, so what that happens, and when, you, when you walk into a room and you, you, ask, you, you lift up that prayer and then you step in, now you're in a process of discernment. Lord, what are you doing here? Where do I need to be? Who do I need to get connect with? What needs to happen? So, let me tell you a story about her. She was invited uh, to visit an orphanage run uh, on the outside, on the outskirts of Ankara. State-run orphanage. She was not prepared for what she was going to see. She was invited in, so she had some friends who were able to get her into this orphanage. She should not have even had access, but she got into the orphanage, walked into a room that had 40 children tied to their beds. Beds were like little prisons, little bars. Severely disabled children, some of them with a milk bottle laying on the pillow by their heads where they could not access the milk. And the caregivers were out in the hallway knitting. She left that orphanage, went home, and wept. And her prayer was, Lord, why did you show me this? Why did you show me this? She wept, and I don't think she slept that night. She got up in the morning, and she knew. The Lord wanted her there. So over many, many months, many, many churches in the U.S., all the long, long story uh, began a ministry with those kids. We got occupational therapists, physical therapists in there. We got one over the administration, so they were w- willing to let her have some space to do some work, get these kids out of these cribs and get them into little uh, uh, devices so the kids could be upright, could be, actually be upright. You know, you, you, take it, you, you just take it for granted that you could be vertical. To be vertical is an amazing experience of joy. And these children would come to life. And she found that she began to make contact with the parents who had put these kids in the orphanage because in that world view, a child born with disabilities is considered a curse of God, an embarrassment, or too expensive to take care of. So they put the kids in the state-run orphanage. Here's what I want to say. The Spirit of Jesus will show us hard things. This is part of the flow of the spirit. Our worship together challenges other claims to ultimate authority. When my friend, this ministry grew, someone from the, from the Great Britain came in and was so impressed with this ministry, they brought a video camera with them and, and filmed the ministry that was going on in the state-run orphanage and then showed it on television in Great Britain. Guess who? Guess what the Turkish government thought about that? That was the end of that ministry, shut them down. So they moved the ministry to the homes of these families in the city of Ankara instead, which is where it is today. The Spirit of Jesus will show us hard things, but will empower us and bring people together to address those hard things. People will ask, as they did in that day, what does this mean? I love the te- Dan's version of this. They, well, they're drunk. <laughs> you know, to have this manifestation of the Spirit of God and people just write it off as they're drunk. That's actually possible, to write off the, the movement of the Spirit of God as just a bunch of people who are drunk. Is a real statement of what, how darkness descends on people. Fourthly, we learn over time to practice noticing and discernment. This is so important. It takes time, you guys. I, I've, let me tell you my story. Um, so I, was a, uh, I grew up in Burbank over here, and, and uh, I went to UC Santa Barbara. And in my, uh, you got, got any gauchos in here? Um, yeah, there you go. So the Vietnam War was going on, and in my senior year in high school, I decided... In full rebellion mode. I was not only going to be uh, rebelling against the, the whole war effort, but I was also going to be an atheist. I was going to become an environmentalist. My hope was going to be an environmental stuff. So my freshman year in college, I was taking environmental studies at UCSB, and at the end of my freshman year in college, absolutely crazy, my church from home says, hey, Dick, we would like to have you work in a neighborhood in a very kind of a tough area. We've got lots of kids and they need, need some organization. Uh, the, the bullets are flying. The police cars are there. We just need to do something to try to help these kids. I said, look it, uh, I don't believe this stuff anymore, but I need a job. He <laughs> said, we're going to pay you 600 bucks a month. I said, done. So I took the job and we ran day camp programs with the kids. Took them to the beach and all that kind of thing and so uh, I'm just realizing today it was July, 49 years ago. <laughs> One o'clock in the morning, smoggy night, hot, sweaty night, no air conditioner. I had a roommate, he and I were working, doing this project together, and he was snoring, and I'm laying wide awake, and I'm thinking about my life, and I'm, and I'm thinking, where, where am I going with this, right? And I, maybe... <laughs> Maybe you've been there, too. And I, I was imagining, I was seeing myself standing on the edge of an abyss, a dark chasm. And I was peering over the edge. And I heard words. And the words were, throw it away and follow me. What? What? I remember thinking, what? What is that? It didn't, it, not, not in my ears, you know what I mean? In my heart. Throw it away. Follow me. I sat on that for a week. A week later, we had the kids out at Magic Mountain. I hate those rides. Hate them. Good. So we put the kids on the rides. And we stand there and watch them getting scrambled around. And they come off the rides, oh, this is great, Let's do it again. And while they're getting, getting their inside scrambled on the rides, i was standing there with my, at the time, it's not my wife, before my wife, I had a girlfriend, this wonderful young lady at my church, and, and I said, you know, something happened a week ago. I, I Can I run this by you? And she goes, what? And I described what happened that night at 1 o'clock in the morning. And while I'm describing this to her, tears are pouring down her face. And I said, so what do you think? (laughs) She says, you idiot. What do you think? (laughs) I said, I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to throw it away. I'm going to follow him. And that was 49 years ago. And I've been following him ever since. Not perfectly perfectly. Amen. Thank you. But here's, you guys, here's what I want to say about that. My own testimony. Here's what I want to say about this. Is that I could easily have dismissed all this. It was just a voice. It was just some words. The Holy Spirit is so gentle with us. The Spirit gives us room to say no. The Spirit is not going to ram the love of God down your throat if you don't want him in your life you don't have to I love this music we're doing in here I want the Holy Spirit in my life we were singing this right if you on the other hand if you do want him in your life it's like my my daughter with the ringtone oh did you hear it? look at he wants us in she wants us in here we come the Spirit of God is pouring into all the empty spaces, into all the empty hearts, all the where there's an opening. That is who God is, you guys. That is who the Holy Spirit is. So what I want to say, I guess, is it takes time to learn to practice noticing and discernment. It takes time to understand because it's, it's so subtle, see, when, when we hear a word, it's like in my own situation, I was, when I heard that word, I thought, was that me talking to me? Or was that the, somebody else talking to me? Because it's, it sort of sounded like my own thinking, but it was odd. So I could have dismissed it as my own psychology, see? And it, that's subtle. It takes discernment. It takes time with this. And it takes time and community, and it, it takes time to learn discernment. I'm still learning discernment. We need each other to... I'm getting this sense. What, what do you think? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Filling up the spaces. All right, another important thing I want to say here about the, filling, the Spirit of God filling the spaces, cascading down Pentecost, pouring into every empty space, including the little space between the thing that happens to us and our response. Okay? The thing happens to us, and then there's a little gap in there between the thing that happens to us and how we respond to what happens to us. See what I'm saying? Right in that gap, Spirit wants to pour in there, too. So we can, in the moment we take the hit, the thing happens, before we act, before we respond, if we have presence of mind, we can say, Spirit of God, lead me now. Spirit of Jesus, show me now how you want me to go, what you want me to say, how you want me to handle this. It's just a moment but the Spirit wants to feel that space between the thing that happens and how we respond. That's discernment. That's noticing. It takes time. We learned this over many years as followers of Jesus. He is with us, guys. He wants to help us. The core truth is this all things are going to be made new. The curtain ripped apart. Now we can come into his presence with, with, any, with anything, anytime. We have full access to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And the spirit of God who reigns is pouring in on us at the same time. He has been doing this for 2,000 years with great effect. The gospel has been proclaimed in nearly every, every language on the planet. Pastor Brian Howard was talking just a couple weeks ago about technology and what technology can do can take the word now to just about everywhere on the planet. Let me tell you a quick story about a, a dear woman named Mary, a church where I was pastoring some years ago. Uh, her, her, she was in her 80s, and her son decided to buy her a computer. <laughs> oh my goodness! And and see, she set this computer at, at her home, and it taught her some things about it. And I went, went and visited her some several months later. I said, Mary, how are you coming with that computer? You know, and she says, "Why?" She's from Texas. Why? The World Wide Web is just like the Holy Spirit, because she could reach and talk to people all over the world. So can we. I do a once in a while meeting with two buddies, and my one of them is in Marseille, France. The other one's in Ankara, Turkey. We just get on a little WhatsApp call and talk for an hour. That's amazing. By the flowing Spirit of God in every language on the planet that's happening, by the flowing Spirit of God, they are now hospitals. There are schools. This is why we uphold human dignity and human rights. It's why we battle poverty and injustice. Where we even got the idea of justice in the first place is Spirit inspired. Why we have science, why people risk everything to share the love of God with those who have just about given up hope, why YA goes to Oxnard. Why you, thank you again for delivering ornaments Christmas time. The flooding and the filling, the emptiness is is underway. It's going on. One fine day, there will be no way to distinguish heaven from earth or earth from heaven. There will be no line on the horizon. The entire creation will be the Holy of Holies. That's what's going on. I'd like to invite the band to, to come out so um, we kind of get ready for this. I want to do something a little bit unusual, different, I guess because we're changing formats around here tonight anyway, right? Um, as the band comes out, we're going to move this. Thanks, Brian. What I want to do is, and we're going to have, uh, I'm going to read a scripture. But what I want to have you do is close your eyes. Now, I think what I would recommend is you you sit in your chair, you know, just kind of feet, both feet flat on the floor, just get really settled, really comfortable, and close your eyes and take some deep breaths and get ready to listen with your heart. What I want to invite you to do is see with your faithful imagination What John of Patmos saw. You ready? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, see, see the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, see, see. I am making all things new. Oh, dear Lord, pour down upon us. Sweep us up in the flow of your spirit. Make it so. Amen.